Really good to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, yeah, as Justin said, if you have a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and turn over there to Matthew 6. Um, we, we're only going to be reading, or we're, we're going to be focusing specifically on verse 12 and then verses 14 through 15, but uh, because context, and I won't get to read very long, if I only read three verses, I w- would love to start at the beginning of this prayer, um, kind of, uh, I guess, focus our minds, um, remind us as to what it is that, that the Lord Jesus is asking of us <clears throat> when we come to Him in prayer. So, um, yeah, in your copy of Scripture, uh, Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, he says, and when you pray, starting in verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask, so pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, as I said before we read, we're going to look at verse 12, and then we're going to jump down to 14 and 15. Uh, And I'll, uh, just ahead of time, it's probably going to feel like I spend a whole lot more time on the idea of confession. Uh, than on forgiveness, and that's on purpose. Um, but I will get to forgiveness, particularly around what is this thing that, that Jesus says that if, if we forgive others, then he will forgive us, and if we don't, then he won't, right? Um, but I want to spend uh, a good chunk of our time of this idea of confession. Um, part of it is I just bring my own story into this, okay? I don't understand always. I, I grew up around hearing, oh yeah, you confess your sins, and it seemed like it was either A, a one and done kind of thing, right? Like when we come to the Lord uh, and faith begins in us, it starts with confession, like I'm a sinner, right? Uh, The sinner's prayer or something to that nature, right? Um, It may be really specific or it may just be like this really broad general thing, Um, but uh, confession in my head has always been... uh, really narrow. Um, Something I do because I've been caught. Um, Something I do because I have immense guilt and I just can't bear it anymore. Uh, Something I do because, uh, I mean, it's just what we're supposed to, right? Like we're just supposed to confess our sin. That's That's what you do as a Jesus follower. Um, But not out of, uh, you know, uh, not out of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Um, And what I deeply believe about this prayer um, is it is said in the context of Jesus' teaching of what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God. Right? So it starts back in chapter 5 when Jesus is on a hillside and he begins teaching 
the people who are following him all over uh, <clears throat> this first century Mediterranean world at the moment, right? And he begins teaching them the postures of the kingdom, right? And we learn about what that means. What is our, <clears throat> excuse me, what is our heart posture? What is it that we would be a distinct people? What does it mean uh, that we would be the light of the world? And then what does it mean uh, out of that to fulfill the law, right? And then we get here to prayer. So out of all of that, now here's how you might pray. But the context is set in these postures of the kingdom. How we approach daily life. One of the things I think is important about confession is it is in, in, uh, magnificently rooted in our story. Uh, John Steinbeck says that no story has power nor will it last unless we feel it, unless we feel in ourselves that it is true and that it is true of us. Um, story is really powerful. One of the things I love about being a part of the Soma family is uh, as long as I have been aware of the Soma family and as long as I've been a part of it, we acknowledge the fact that story is how we approach God. It's how we hear uh, about who He is and His love for us for the first time. It's, it's how we begin to understand our need for the Father, because we begin to understand our own story. And so story is powerful. So I'd love for us to take a brief moment and sit uh, in this question, what is the larger story that you have given yourself to? What is the larger story that you have given yourself to? As you begin to think about that, like, and when I say that, I mean like, what is the story in which you live your daily life by? Like you wake up in the morning and you begin to make decisions consciously and unconsciously because you believe a certain story is true. As you begin to think about this larger story that you've given yourself to, I'd like you to ask this, how are you self-optimizing your story in light of a larger story? What are, the, what are the stories at work in your own life? You see, we, we bring all that stuff to confession. So when we get to a text like this and Jesus says, so mind you, uh, going back a little bit to what uh, I understand Jeff talked about last week, right? This is a daily thing, right? This isn't um, like you pray this once a week, you pray this once a month or a year. This is like, a daily posture of the heart that we would be approaching the Lord with uh, understanding who He is, understanding that we have deep needs, uh, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that can only be met by the Father, uh, and that we have things to confess daily. The stories that we live inform how we approach confession, right? Um, if I were to uncover right now, uh, right, um, and begin to share some of my story, it, confession is really hard for me personally. I, I did not come from a family that was like this, uh, the, the American dream kind of thing. I, I came from a family that was uh, relatively abusive. And um, that when you got caught, it meant 
uh, severe consequences, um, either emotional braiding and or uh, uh, physical, uh, you know, like intense spanking. Not like just like, you know, a spank where you're like, of course, you know, don't do that. But like intense, uh, like abuse type stuff, right? So in my head, in my story, as I approach the concept of confession, I approach the Father as one that if I confess, if I say that I did this, then this will happen. Um, and we all, we all have this. We all, whether we consciously acknowledge it or not, we all live our life according to a story that says, if I do this, then this will happen. But this is the work of the gospel in our heart, that we would believe that God is in fact good. That when we come to him with who we are, that he does not meet us with wrath. He meets us with love. He meets us with compassion. So we're all operating off of a social script that, and, and sometimes so deep so that we don't even notice it, that begins to dictate how do we interact with this God that we may not have seen? How do we interact with these people next to us whom I think I know, but I don't know if I know? Um, so if I continue on in my story, right, if I, as I begin to uncover the, the levels of which um, the, the gospel has to come in and, and re, uh, maybe not rewrite, but, but renew my story, give me uh, something greater to hope for, right? It's not just that I don't understand always how to interact with a good father because I didn't have one, but I don't always know how to interact with people because of betrayal, You see, I lived a lot of my life just walling people off, right? Never more than an arm's distance because people are not trustworthy. But if we begin to learn anything about life in the kingdom of God, it is not just a life between us and the Father. It is a life also between us and one another. And so as we come to the Lord, and we say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It assumes, uh, one, that we have uh, sin to be forgiven. We enter each day, uh, each moment, with something that needs to be forgiven. Uh, but we also enter those moments with something that we need to forgive. And the... Uh, it, it's important that we begin to unpack this in our mind, that we sit, when we sit with texts that say, hey, do this, uh, it's not just an, an intellectual assent uh, to a, a practice that we think we understand, right? It has to move deep into our hearts and begin to unfold the story that, that God is good and He is worth trusting with our stuff. That our brothers and sisters in the church, um, uh, I think we have to believe this. I want to believe it. They don't mean for our harm. You see, we, we as we come into Christ, our, our story is transformed in such a way that we don't, when we ask the questions that, we're, that, we're, uh, that are the deep questions of the heart, they're answered differently, 
right? Um, one of those deep questions of the heart is, is, does anybody want me? Right? We, we enter the story. Whether, whether we had a great childhood or not, um, I, don't, I know very few people that enter into uh, relationships wondering, like, does this person want to be my friend? Right? Uh, it doesn't have to be this, like, really, uh, you know, um, existential crisis every time uh, about that question. doesn't have to be that. It can be simple as, does this person want to be my friend? Um, but we enter into a story in which it is birthed in love, and the answer is yes, I do want you. Um, right? This is the posture of the Father, and it extends to His people, and this should be our posture also. Uh, yes, I want you. I want you to be uh, a part of my life. I want you to be in my family. I want to do life uh, in all that that means alongside of you. But then sin enters in and affects us, right? This is uh, the, the crux of the deal. So the fact that we would have to come and say, okay, forgive us our debts. Now, if we get really nerdy about the, why, why does uh, Jesus use the word debts, there's like a couple different understandings of this. One is there's a farming culture presence. The agriculture culture um, is one in which people had to go to someone to like get the money to buy the seeds and all of these you know all the stuff you need to farm i didn't grow up in, i grew up in a city no concept of farming okay so just i lay my ignorance before you i just read this in a book somewhere all right so you go you go to a lender you get the money so that you can buy the seed and buy whatever else you need to sow a crop and then you got to pay them back right now what we know about the scriptures is that there were some pretty significant laws around making sure you don't extort people for what you borrow, right? So if you borrow a dollar, all the person has to pay uh, back is a dollar. That's, that is, all, has been the case ever since God created a people and said, here's how you must act with one another, right? Uh, you don't extort the other people a part of the family. And, and as a more global view, you don't extort people who are God-fearers or who are curious, like Israel was meant to be a people distinct from the rest of the world that they might see that God is good and turn to Him. So we don't do this. So this idea of debts is the fact uh, that we would be forgiven of this. So we borrowed the money to sow our crops. We can't pay it back, and it is forgiven. It is no longer held to you. There's also, uh, in the time period now, whether this is an agricultural reference or not, who knows. Uh, it, people that I read this week uh, were divided as to whether it may or may not be. The, uh, the other idea of debt is what we would commonly understand as sin. Okay, it is the fact that uh, it, is a, it is a debt that we owe that we cannot pay. Um, and so when we come to the Lord... Uh, and we say, forgive us our debt, yeah, we can't repay it anyway. It is not in, uh, in us to be able to do this. So in the same way that we must come to God daily with our needs, whatever those may be, physical, spiritual, emotional, we also come to God daily to say, God, forgive me, because I've fallen short. And here are the ways in which that looks. And God, forgive me 
So we get to the part where we got to forgive our, our brother and our sister, our neighbor, right? But like, forgive me, Lord, where I have sinned against my brother or my sister. Forgive me where I have had these thoughts uh, of, of, of anger, of, of lust, of malice, whatever it is. God, forgive me. The things that I'm aware of and the things that I'm unaware of. Because you see that this idea of confession begins to poke at another uh, longing of the heart. And that is, in spite of all I've done, does someone still want me? So it's one question to say, does somebody want me? Right? Uh, It's a basic thing. Do we want to be friends? Do we not? Um, If I uh, uncover or if I expose who I am, will they still want me? See, confession um, confession is so counterintuitive to that question. Um, and why it is is that we, we don't want to bring our stuff before one another. And so uh, one of the things that, um, as, as I was talking with Jeff a little bit about kind of what he talked about last week, that this is a daily thing, that it's not... Uh, but it's also an us thing. So confession isn't just us in our closet coming before the Lord to say, um, okay, God, here's the laundry list of things that I have done uh, in the few hours that I've been awake, or maybe at the end of the day, depending on uh, when your optimal prayer moments are. Right? Um, here's the things that have happened. No, it's actually daily engaging with one another to say, Here's who I am before God. Here's who I am before you. Will you still love me? And our story is built on love, right? From the very whether you open the the the, the early pages of the scriptures and you see um, God creating everything in it, all of its goodness, His desire is to spe- be with us in those moments. And then all throughout, despite all of the, what feels like chaos and craziness, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, God keeps pursuing His people and finding a way to expose His love for them. And then we get to the apex of the story in which Jesus comes down, lives amongst us, and shows nothing but love. So while we answer the question... We ask the question, does anybody want me? The answer is a resounding yes. Because our story that we live in as the people of God is one that is built on the foundation of love. Nothing that we can do is too big to overcome that love. And then the next question is, but if they knew who I was, will they still love me? then the answer must be yes. Because who we are is built on the unshakable foundation of love. So when God looks at us as his children who have put their faith in him, he looks at you and he says, you are my son or my daughter with whom I am well pleased. So we do not enter confession 
from the concern of, have I gotten caught? We do not enter confession. We shouldn't enter confession with a posture of, will you still love me? We should be um, confident in a reality in which if I tell this to my brother or to my sister, will they forsake me? The answer would hopefully be no. We'll walk with you in it. Now, this takes lots of culture creation, right? As Jesus followers, this does not come intuitively to us because we do live in a sin-mired world. We live in the brokenness of humanity that, that pulls us away from a reality in which love is our foundation, that at least pulls our affections and our attentions away from a reality in which we would be able to enter into a space and confess the, the deep uh, brokenness of our heart. But confession is an opportunity to be known. Right? It, it's what uh, allows us to, to uh, brush off a little of the dirt off the foundation so that they might see and experience love because there's more of it that's clear as we come into the life of one another. Confession is, is in fact, good for the soul. Um, it's out of a culture of love um, in that, that confession can, can thrive. And it's in a uh, confessionally thriving environment um, that God begins to work in the heart of his people because we become a distinct group of folks at that point. Um, So, as I said, confession is rooted in the postures of the heart. Now, what do we know is the posture of the heart? Well, we have to turn uh, to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, to understand that we come to one another in confession uh, because we have this um, appropriate view of ourselves. We understand who we are before God and one another. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, the the postures of the heart that allow for a culture of confession are ones in which we are humble and meek before one another in the Lord that we can come into a space and say, here's my stuff. And because we're meek, which is another way of kind of talking about a gentle submissiveness, because we're gentle with one another, we don't confess with the expectation of punishment or to be plunged into the icy waters of shame. Instead, because of who we are, because we're rooted in, in the love of Christ, and we take on his postures, instead we're met with love and kindness, and it's as if we are being cleansed with a warm bath. See, what, what leads us to personal and then communal confession 
It's an understanding that we all operate from this reality in which we are meek. We understand that we're poor in spirit. We mourn with those who mourn. Church, we, we must be a place in which people like experience that. Because later Jesus gets to this point, he's like, are you salt and light? And the reality that he's getting at is that, are you a distinct enough people that this happens? So whether it's here in this environment, whether it's in missional communities, whether it's in DNA, there are all of these uh, moments in which people begin to encounter the people of God and we get an opportunity to say we are distinct, we are different, and with us you will experience life because Christ is at the center of who we are. When you come to us, with your sin-sick self, you will not be met with punishment. You will not be met with shame. You will met, be met with loving kindness and a warm bath because it's what Christ did for each of us. Now, now we cannot replace Jesus in that. We, we have to lead them to, to Christ. Jesus is the one who cleanses them, but it's by our heart postures that they begin to taste and see that he is good because, it, because it's through his church it's through his people that God shows himself to the rest of the world. It's why it's so important um, to, you know, talk about like the sharing the gospel with people. It's not so we can, not just so we can visually see that we have filled a tree with acorns. It is so that the, that the world who is uh, broken, who, who lives in shame and guilt and fear, might understand that they don't have to live that way, and it's not the way that it's supposed to be. And if we as God's people have the heart of confession, and then the other side of that forgiveness, where we would forgive one another, because the Father has forgiven us greatly, that they might experience the goodness of God, they might taste and see that He is good, and they would come to belief. And they would begin sharing that with other people. Um, this is the beauty, if you, when you read about the early church, it's like these people who are like, I have lived in this understanding of this guy named Yahweh, or this God named Yahweh my entire life, and I have no idea what this is, but then this guy, Jesus shows up, and he shows it to me in, the, in full technicolor, right? To use the most overused illustration ever, it is like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, where it starts out gray, and all of a sudden she gets to Oz, and it's like bright and beautiful, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? This is life in Christ, right? Like, before people are just walking in this gray mire where they're like, I don't know, I guess I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to keep on going. And then Christ shows up, and all of a sudden we see the fullness of what life is. And so we can come to the Lord in confession. We can come to one another and say, man, here's my stuff laid before you. Uh, I, I confess this to you and to the Lord. Like, forgive me. And then we offer forgiveness. This is where we get to extend people the warm bath instead of the icy waters of shame. Jesus later, uh, as he's continuing his journeys um, through uh, the Mediterranean, first century Mediterranean world, he gets to another point in which he teaches about a parable of this servant who comes to his master um, because he, he has a debt that's owed, Right? But the servant comes to the king and he says, man, please forgive me. Please, I beg you. The king says, 
yeah, okay, you're forgiven. Uh, and then as the story goes on, Jesus continues about how this servant who experienced magnificent forgiveness, right? Uh, by all rights, what happens to the other guy in the story where he gets thrown in debtor's prison and all these things, like this is what should have happened to the first servant who comes to the king and says, hey, please forgive me. But the forgiveness that this first servant experiences is not the forgiveness that he offers to his fellow servant. No, in fact, he goes to him and he exacts punishment and says, hey, you owe me a debt and you're going to pay it, sucker. This is how they spoke in the ancient Near East. And then the king finds out about it. And if I might paraphrase a bit, the king essentially is like, you have not extended the forgiveness that you have experienced, and now I'm going to like, now you're going to pay. This is, I think you have to, like, imagine you are hearing about this idea of forgiveness for the first time, you're walking around with Jesus. You've experienced all these crazy things. You see people, all the wildness of the world. And then Jesus gets to this teaching, like, I don't know, maybe a year later, maybe several months later, but he starts telling you about this. All of a sudden it starts ringing, ah, oh, if I forgive others, it's because I've experienced forgiveness. Um, I think what we see in the parable of the unforgiving servant is he didn't experience forgiveness, he just got off. Those are two very different things. Um, the guy didn't experience the warm bath being washed clean, right? Um, the, the idea of 1 John 1, 9, that, that when we confess, he is uh, faithful and just to cleanse us of those things, right? He didn't experience that. He's just like, dodge that bullet. Now I'm going to go get mine. By the way, like this is kind of like we, we, we live in a time and place that that is still the truth. This is how people operate, their lives operate, is, man, if I can just miss that bullet, then I'll get mine. This is not the way of God's people. It's we have experienced the magnificent forgiveness of who God is and what he has done. And out of that, we then begin to extend this loving kindness of forgiveness to one another. Um, but all of that, again, we, we know what that looks like because of the heart postures that Jesus talks about at the beginning of this whole teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. We have this sobering view of ourselves in such a way that says, yeah, like, it's by God's grace that I can do anything right. It's by God's grace that I am made whole, because I wouldn't be otherwise. Um, it's by God's grace that I am washed white as snow, because otherwise, like, I'd just be this dirty mess walking around all the time. And, and we live in the reality that we are whole now, that we are washed clean. Um, this is the distinctness of the people of God. And then we forget, we extend that to one another, and we remind one another of this. Um, this is the, the beauty of giving each other the gospel in the same way that we would give the gospel to our unbelieving friend. 
because we need to be reminded of the fact that Christ has come to make us whole and to cleanse us white as snow. One of the, one of the things I love, uh, so I'm kind of landing the plane a little bit, um, so our church follows a little bit of a higher liturgy, okay? Um, so there's like this time of confession. One of the things I love about uh, higher, high liturgy churches is there is often or always a time of confession, right? You come to the Lord and you bring all your stuff. Now, that can go one of two ways, right? If there's not a culture of love and kindness in which we feel uh, the extension of God's love from one another and we understand the deep, deep love of the Father, uh, that can end itself in uh, the icy waters of shame. Or it can be a time in which we experience the loving kindness and, the, and being washed in the warm bath. One of the things I love about it is it is always followed by a time of absolution or a time of affirmation. Um, that yes, you are who you think you are. But Christ has come that you might have confidence that he loves you and that you are his child. And with you he is pleased because of Jesus. We wear his righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. And so we walk in that. And we, end, we come out of confession with the affirmation of the reality that that stuff doesn't define me. The brokenness that I have is not what God sees in me. It's not how we interact with one another. We don't interact with one another because of our brokenness. We interact with one another because of Christ who is in us. The hope of glory. Um, I, the other night I watched uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, um, which I, I wish, like, if we were going to talk about forgiveness, like, you just show this, like, the last third of that movie, and it's, like, this really great illustration of, like, what his forgiveness means is Fred Rogers walks uh, Lloyd through, like, you got to forgive your dad, man. Um, he does it so gently, so kindly. And there's this moment uh, where they're sitting together, um, and they get to, like, these things that make us human. And he says, anything that's mentionable is manageable. Now, I, that does not mean we, we get into sin management or anything, but confession um, and forgiveness bring about a reality in which we can name something, and then we can deal with it. Because there's a culture and a posture present that says it's a safe to do, that I'm loved and I'm cared for. And so as we come to the table, to take the bread and the cup, we do so knowing uh, that uh, because, because Christ gave us his body, broken, we're made whole. That, that when we come to confession, we don't, we don't come um, as people lacking something. We come as whole people. We have everything we need for life and godliness because he's made it so. And we come and we take uh, the cup and we're 
we are reminded and we experience the fact that he's washed us clean, that he has extended this forgiveness, that we can now extend it to others. Um, we, we come to the table knowing that because of the magnificence of Jesus, we are deeply loved and we are wanted. It is good that we do this. It is good that we confess our sins to one another and to God. It is good that we forgive. And when we come to the table, we are believing that. That we have been made whole by his brokenness, that we have been washed clean by his blood, that we are deeply loved and we are wanted. Um, And even in the moments in which we don't believe it, uh, the beautiful thing about the table is that uh, we proclaim the resurrection of the Lord every time we do it. And so we just believe, we say, okay, this is true whether I believe it. Lord, help my unbelief. We do not simply come to the table to memorialize Jesus. And we're not putting him back on the cross every time we come to the table. We come to him uh, and we experience the spiritual nourishment and the proclamation of resurrection power in our lives. That he is redeeming our stories and he's writing a new one. That the stuff we bring into the moments of confession and forgiveness are not what we've experienced by broken people, but what we've experienced by God the Father. By hopefully what we begin to experience in life with one another. He's giving us a better story to live by. This is is what we are reminded of. This is the power that we take when we take the bread and the cup. It's because of who he is. That when we come to the table, uh, we have confidence walking away. Um, that, that we're not who the world says we are. We are who God says we are, beloved children, in which it's safe to bring our stuff before one another and the Father.